0: Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks uh, that uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, Lord, we pray that this freedom would take deep root in our hearts and that we might be changed more and more into your likeness uh, to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, last week we talked about our friend, uh, the exercise guy, uh, who knows deep down inside. Let's just use him as the, I, I was trying to be gender neutral last week, but let's just say it. So the husband needs uh, to do more exercise, and the wife, he knows that, and the wife uh, is telling him he needs to do more exercise. Uh, but when he does go to exercise, uh, he's just angry. Uh, he's just angry. And he finds that he's exercising not uh, for the sake of exercising, uh, but basically so that when the wife asks him, did you exercise, he can say yes. Um, and he will even go so far as sometimes to wear workout clothes and come home in them, although he did not work out. Um, or, uh, he will actually put a, an exercise DVD in the DVD machine and leave it on at the very end, meant to make it look like, I'm, you know, I, I've heard of this stuff happening before. Uh, and, um, all these creative ways, and, uh, the spouse has you know, tried to be graceful, and so they've not said anything, and they've kind of held back, and, and just to see how things unfold, and they say, well, this isn't working, so I need to ask them, and they think just very innocuous questions, like, hey, did you, did you go work out today? And all of a sudden, it evokes a reaction out of the husband of, get off my case, or why do you keep asking me this? Um, and what we talked about a little bit last week was that passiveness um, of, of the, the wife not asking the husband have you exercised uh, is not really grace at all um, because still lurking in everything, you can feel it when you walk into the room, is the whole obligation of having to go exercise. Now, I'm talking about this. It's very trivial, but this is the stuff that we get caught up on because, again, I think that most of us as Christians feel pretty good about living uh, Within the gospel of Jesus Christ, this idea that that God's love for us is one way, uh, that it's unconditional, uh, that it's a gift, and if we haven't earned it, we can't unearn it. Uh, And, of course, it's easy in some ways because God loves us perfectly because he is perfect. Uh, We are imperfect. And this is true of all human relationships, but the relationship on earth that uh, the Bible uh, looks to... uh, to describe the relationship between, John the Baptist uses it, Paul uses it, but the relationship between Jesus and his church, Jesus and his people, is is marriage. And that marriage is supposed to reflect this idea of gospel reenactment, that although it's imperfect, what the world ought to see in marriage is um, us loving one another uh, without an expectation of return, and even without an expectation of change in some cases. When you marry your spouse um, and they have an annoying habit or there's something that you don't like about them, um, three things can happen. They can get better, uh, they can stay the same, or they can get worse, and it's normally the latter two, right? It's normally the latter two. And again, when we talk about it with God, you know, we think of it more in terms of sin, but when we interact with one another, uh, sometimes it's not really issues of sin, it's issues of preference, You know, is it a sin that the husband doesn't go and and exercise? Well, no, it's not. However, the difficulty is that it gets into ideas of love and respect and honoring the spouse. Because, honestly, if one of our spouses or someone that we are very close to and we know loves us, if they want us to do something, we ought to want to do it. Right, It's like that in the gospel, that when our heart is changed by God and we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, all of a sudden we want to do things that please God, where before we didn't. Like all of a sudden we find ourselves wanting to do those things that at one time um, seemed obligatory, but now are no more. Um, I was telling a Bible study last week, though, that uh, sometimes those things uh, can still be made into obligations. I have a friend who's in ministry, and he was the guy in college who always asked you, um, Carol, you've already heard this, uh, how's your walk with the Lord doing? Right? And it was almost like he was really saying, hey, how's it going? And we often wondered, what if we actually were honest with him and said, It's not going well at all. How would he respond to that? And he was also one of those guys that if you said, you know, it's not going very well, he's like, well, you know, are you having a quiet time every day? He was one of those guys that thought you had to have your quiet time at 5 in the morning every single day. And if you were honest with him and said, you know, uh, Ryan, uh, if um, not, not you, it's not you. um, So it's... I almost said his name. It's a different, Ryan C. Um, but Ryan, uh, if you said, you know, I actually haven't been, the way he would compare it is he'd say, you know, Jesus was up waiting at your breakfast table for you and, and you stood him up. Uh, at which point you punch Ryan in the face, right? That's what happens. Um, because that is, t- that is not what was happening. Uh, that's not what was happening, and it's not as if then Jesus is sitting back saying, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to bother showing up anymore because they stood me up. It's like that, that little post-it note that Lauren had of the lady in workout clothes, and she said, another day, and I didn't make it to, to the gym. That makes five years in a row. Laughter um, uh, yeah, God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us, and his love for us is not contingent upon our performance, whether we're up at 5 a.m. or whether we do it right before we go to bed or, or whatever it is. One of the most humbling things that I, I've heard recently was Tim and Kathy Keller have done, um, they've got a marriage book out now, but Tim Keller also did like an eight- or nine-part ser- sermon series on uh, marriage, but they also did sort of a mini sort of hour and 15-minute tag team thing and then they did Q&A and it's really great and in it they admitted that for basically they've been married for almost 30 years and, or 30 years now and for the first 26 years of their marriage this is Tim Keller right super Christian they never actually did anything spiritually with one another and, uh, and so they said, you know, one of the problems is that people think that in their marriage that they're going to grow spiritually. Like they have to, like, okay, we have to sit down and do this incredible disciplined Bible study together. But you know what they do? This is their, this is their discipleship time together is uh, before they go to bed at night, they're in bed and they hold hands and they pray together. Five, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, they're doing something. Uh, but now by my friend Ryan's standards, he would say, we well, are giving God you know, second best. You know, he's also the kind of guy that says things like, the Holy Spirit goes to bed at midnight and he's a he's a fun sponge, just kind of walks into the room and sucks up all the fun. <laughs> so, I hope, Ryan, Ryan, I hope you're listening to this because I've, I've said it to his face many times. He needs to hear it again. And, everybody, and everybody's laughing, so they agree. Um, but when... Uh, but we often do that with, with those that we're, we're close to that although we know that uh, God is always faithful and quick to forgive, um, we still interact with one another on sort of a quid pro quo basis, a tit for tat and uh, in, in a relationship, uh, whether it's marriage or anything that is defined uh, by love, a close friendship, so there are certain words that um, that love doesn't know or certain phrases that have to go out the window. Uh, Phrases like, you never fill in the blank. Or you always fill in the blank. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians thirteen that love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's very hard not to do because we all have filing cabinets. And normally when we say things like, you always, it means that it might have happened once or twice before in nineteen eighty three. Right? And and yet It feels like it just happened yesterday. It's hard for us to not keep record of wrongs. Or what we'll say to someone is, promise me that you'll never do this again. Or promise me that you will do that. Uh, That is setting yourself up to be totally disappointed by the other person. Because uh, I think if there's, uh, you know, Fitz Allison said that there's one thing that everybody is called to in life, and that's hypocrisy. Uh, And we all are faithful in that and so if love is based upon uh, promise me that you'll never do this again what the spouse is saying or what the friend is saying or the mother or the child is saying is that um, I will only know that you love me if you do this I will only know that you love me if you do this which is not love it's not a gift uh, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If it's not, a, if you can earn it, then it's not a gift at all. And it means that at any given time, and this is especially hard with children, and uh, I'm guilty of this, where I give one of my daughters something, and it's a gift. It might be a little toy or something. And I don't like the way that she's, she's treating it. Uh, so I'll take it and I'll say, well, I, I'm not going to let you have this until you know how to treat it as it should. Well, all, the moment that I do that, it ceases to be a gift, right? It ceases to be a gift, but if, it's, if it is a gift, it's hers free and clear, no strings attached, it's hers in totality. Now, again, the thing that frightens people most of all about this is they think that if we it's okay for us and God to deal with one another that way or for God to deal with us that way. But if we behave in that way, then we're afraid that somebody will take advantage of us. But what I'm here to say is that if your relationship is marked by love, and I mean the, the love of Jesus Christ, the Greek word that is used is that agape love, the self-sacrificial love, uh, which is you're willing to give up yourself for the other person. And that doesn't mean just your life in the physical sense. You know, if I ask a premarital couple, uh, especially the husband, you know, I read from Ephesians and I say, you know, your your call is to be willing to lay down your life for your wife as Jesus has laid it down for the church. You know, normally he's like, oh yeah, I'm ready. I I would totally take a bullet for, for my wife. And that's really well and good, but if you actually look a little bit more closely and dig under the surface of that verse, uh, what you see is it's not just Paul calling us to lay down our physical loves, but actually our our lives and even a holistic sort of metaphysical sense of, are you willing to sacrifice your dreams and ambitions for this other person? Are you actually willing to put your life on hold? Are you willing to sacrifice your wants for the other person? That is the degree of love. I mean, for me, sometimes I think, I'll take the bullet, <laughs> right? I'd rather, I, you know what, there's many of us that would almost rather die than to actually put our lives on hold or to say that somebody else's life and their dreams and ambitions and what they want in life is actually more important than what we want. And when we start looking at those things and, and those relationships that we'd like to change about the other person, more often than not, I feel like if, it could be sinful, It could be sinful, but oftentimes it's those things that we feel are not conforming to our ideas of the way that we want them to be, right? There are sort of button things in all relationships, things that are essential that hold things together, but then there are also cufflink issues, nice but not necessary, right? And oftentimes I make cufflink issues central issues, right? It's just a matter of, you know, um, I once broke up with a girl because I thought she wore too much brown. Right, totally shallow and totally ridiculous and um and it was it was symptomatic of something else but um, anyway uh but you see what i'm saying totally ridiculous and a total cufflink thing and you laugh and you look at me like that is stupid and you're right to say that but we're often making cufflinky things into central issues and looking at those uh again from the perspective of what jesus says that that your sin ought to agitate you as much as the other person's sin does. The whole idea of the speck in your eye bothering you as much, or the speck in your neighbor's eye, your loved one's eye, um, as opposed to the plank in your eye, which really ought to be the thing that that you're dealing with. And not only that, um, and it's been said and, and rightly said, that in any type of relationship, if you see your sinful self as the single greatest problem in your relationship... Now, I'm talking about two quasi-healthy messes coming together, whatever it might be. Um, I'm not talking about one person who's way off the deep end acting out abusively or anything like that. I'm actually talking about sort of day-to-day relationships. If you see your sinful self as the single greatest problem in the relationship, that is a huge step forward. That is a huge step forward. And if the other person in the relationship sees the single greatest problem in the relationship as their sinful self, then the sky's the limit. The sky's the absolute limit. And there are times, you know, where you're in a in a fight and, and you might only be 20% to blame and they might be 80% to blame, uh, but what I'll say is, you know, Well, yeah, I could have done something differently this way, but you've you've got 80%, right? You're the major stockholder in this debacle, and so you need to own up to that margin call. Um, And um, my wife's a financial advisor, so that's how we fight. We talk in financial terms. Um, um, I'm tired of your hostile takeovers. Uh, uh, This investment is not FDIC insured. Um, Anyway... That's kind of funny. Um, uh, But if you see your... Because the thing about love is this, is that love, you know, in relationships, people used to always say marriage is about compromise. And when I hear people say marriage is about compromise, I think, oh, gosh, because marriage is about sacrifice. Marriage is about somebody getting steamrolled, right? Somebody uh, dying to themselves and saying, you know what, I'm going to put myself aside in order for you to have what you would like, as opposed to putting my wants before your wants. And um, the thing about it is, is, let's look at our friend with in the exercising. <clears throat> the husband ought to love his wife so much that he ought to exercise. He ought to love his wife so much that he ought to exercise, if for no other reason than for her. But the wife ought to love her husband so much that she ought not to care one iota whether he exercises or not. You see, kind of the catch twenty two there, uh, and uh, and that's love, and it means that um, that both sides, and if that if that is what is defining um, the relationship, uh, then there is a great degree of freedom because you don't have to worry about. Um, you know, what are they going to say when they find out that I didn't exercise today? And you don't have to worry about, you know what, if he just loved me, then he would go exercise. Uh, and getting caught up in the idea that exercise is um, is an indicator of that person's love uh, for you. Now... That is the difficulty in love, but that is exactly uh, the love that the scriptures talk about. It's a love geared toward the other person because we are going to let one another down. And all of us can see through what it, we think is love or grace and can clearly see it as manipulation. There's a big difference between somebody, uh, let's say that you get into a big fight and, uh, and that afternoon uh, you come in with flowers and say, here you go. Now, the way that you are receiving flowers at that point is very different than, say, everything's fine, just kind of normal, and that same person comes home that same afternoon and hands you flowers. But they mean still the same act you've given over flowers, but they mean totally different things. One is just rooted in sort of, hey, I was in the grocery store, um, and uh, although normally that's not a good... I have a friend who used to always say, hey, I was at Walmart and I, for Valentine's Day and I saw these flowers and thought of you, and the wife for some reason didn't like that approach. Um, uh, but uh, but hey, I saw these flowers and I thought of you, and, and here they are. Other than, uh, same flowers, same bouquet, but totally different. Saying, "Hey, we got into a fight. Here's some flowers," and the reaction is, "That ain't gonna work." All right? That's, I, I know what you're trying to do, and yet it's the same. It's the same action, but perceived and received in two totally different ways. And but if you're if your relationship is rooted in love uh, with uh, your children um, or whoever it might be, you realize that, um, that their behavior is not necessarily a reflection of their love for you. If that were the case like with us and God, we'd, what would God think of us? If God said, your behavior is a reflection of how much you really love me, um, Oops. You know, we I'd be in a heap of trouble, I don't know about y'all, um, so, so, so long Las Vegas. Um, but what we find, though, is that in this whole idea of being afraid of whether somebody is going to walk all over us because we show them grace, it turns out in the scriptures that that's not what happens, that grace is not enablement in a negative way, that grace actually enables somebody to love you in the way that you want to be loved. This is counterintuitive. This is counterintuitive. I mean, that's what makes Christianity so amazing because it doesn't, doesn't make sense, right? If you want somebody to do something, what you do is you get on their case about it, right? That's what the Pharisees thought. That's uh, what most other religions in the world think. That's what the way that we're wired as human beings is we need to really you know, kick people around and take names and, and that's how we get stuff done. And what will happen is stuff might get done except that it's being done out of fear, out of obligation and therefore it's being done with a sense of resentment and is not being done for you because they love you but is done, being done for you because they just want you off their back. And we've all been in... I have a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Sure, you're allowed to interrupt. Go ahead. Um, uh, um, Well, I, I agree with what you're saying for, for most part. But... but, but yeah. <laughs> but, but some of it's not a fear of being steamrolled, it's a fear of like Maybe in a smoking example or uh, whatever unhealthy living mm-hmm. example you described. Um, if you really love that person, it's it's probably also a fear of them not being around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's still the regardless of what the the motivation is, whether I mean rooted in love or yeah, or preference. Adolescents, t- teenagers too. I mean, there's lots of yeah. You of get. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there is a place for law. Like, if, if, they're, if they're totally blind to it, and, you know, your child, let's say that your child, I mean, things like seatbelts. Like, you ought to wear your seatbelt. Or texting while driving. Or texting while driving. Like, if they, if they think that they, if they're sort of oblivious to it, and they think, oh, that'll never happen to me, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's clear in the scriptures that there are places. There is a place to say, what you're doing is wrong. You have to stop. You have to stop, and there are consequences for your actions. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, if your child gets into a fender bender uh, with texting, you know, you say, oh, it's okay. right, that's a, a problem, too. One of the things that drives me up the wall is when someone apologizes and says, I'm sorry, and then the response is, oh, it's okay. Well, it's clearly not okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to apologize. But at the same time, and this is where it's key, it's is what we're doing actually going to have is it going to bring about change in the person's life so you get on your child about texting and driving right but that's ultimately not that's not what's going that's going to be the initial part of it but what's going to change them and and make them want to do it for the rest of their lives is a sense of love from you. Now, texting is not the best idea. I mean, the exercising is probably a little bit better. Is a sense of love for you. I mean, they might do it out of obligation at first, but ultimately, if you want... It's sort of like a, a New Year's resolution. I mean, you make the New Year's resolution, and then two weeks later, most of us eat the entire cheesecake, right? So if it's a change based upon, you know, I just want, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my darndest, it almost never, ever works out, but what you see creating long-standing change in a person's life is the gospel. Because the difference is, is that if, let's say that your child was involved in an accident while texting, and they, you know, you get to the scene of the crime, and, um, and they're just yelling and screaming about how this person wasn't, it's clearly their fault, let's just say, it. it's clearly their fault. And they say, well, it was they, they were doing this, and, and I, I'm sure I was in my lane, and they just came over and sideswiped me, and, and I was being safe, even though I was texting, that wasn't the reason why I'm in the car accident. At that point, you do need to say, you're wrong. You are the reason why it's in the accident. But let's say that you roll up on the scene of the crime and they are in tears and they look at you and they say, Mom, Dad, I'm responsible for this. It was because I was texting and yeah, you know, I'm to blame for all of this right here for the totaled car. What's your response then? Yeah, if your response is, well, you should think about this. You should you should know better than to text. You're not saying anything anything to them that they don't already know. Now the key is it is hard because some people might, you know, go through the whole road thing of, I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have been texting, blah blah, just to kind of avoid the argument and get out of it. But normally you can tell when somebody actually has some, you know, has contrition and and just is totally flat bottom, All right? But what we find what the scriptures say, in, um, you know, the actual thing that enables people is the law. That's what enables people. Paul says in Romans 7, What shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known what sin was. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So what does the law do? It kills. It kills. That's its function. And that's true. Like it, the whole idea of, of baptism in the church is you, have, you die. Right, and you are born again. You're born to new life in Jesus Christ. But what the law does, Siegel, do you have your hand up? No. Uh, what the law does is that actually enables. So the whole example about like the guy who needs to exercise, putting you know um, the Suzanne Somers Thymaster um, DVD in. Well, that was a blast in the past. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> um, Suzanne Somers, uh, it was Suzanne Summers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah she, looked, she looked good. So uh, it worked for her, so, but she got paid to do it. So uh, the, the Thigh master video in that, um, just to, to give the impression that they had done exercise, what led them to do that was the law, because they knew, like, I just don't have to pretend anymore. Right? That's how God, it is with God. God knows you through and through. He knows everything about you, every awful thing that you've done, every awful thought you've ever had, and yet he still loves you. And yet he still loves you. And what happens is that when, when you experience the gospel in grace, actually, if anything, the struggle is even more. All of a sudden, you actually start taking the law seriously because when you, know, you start thinking about it, you're like, oh gosh, I thought it was okay, and exercise is the least of my worries in my relationship with this person. Right. That's, that's just a symptom of it, but what at the heart of it is, is my own uh, sinfulness and the things that I have to, that, that I'm trying to deal with on my own terms, thinking if I just do X, Y, and Z, it'll work out. But really what needs to happen is that I need to get more in touch with the love that is at the center of this relationship, like with God. Right. The more you love somebody, the more you're going to want to serve them, but the more law that's in a relationship, the less that you're going to want to be a part of it. No, no, go ahead. As you talk about that, are you familiar with Chapman's love languages? Yes. What's your interpretation? I don't speak any of them. Um, (laughs) That is a potential vehicle for sort of a guidebook of how to express love. Yeah, Gary Chapman, five love languages. Someone's going to have to help me out. I think I remember them. That is, we all express love in a certain way and we all receive love in a certain way and it may or may not be the same language. Uh, Words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, gift giving, and acts of service. Okay, okay, there you go, there you go. Uh, acts of service. So you might you might show love by doing acts of service, but you may receive love by quality time or, or whatever it is. I think that that's, that's really helpful because it helps to, you know, in merit, like premarital counseling, one of the things I, I talk a lot about is family of origin and how much that really actually impacts you and normally will help determine your love language. Um, and I do think that that's good because the golden rule is what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good rule, right? But Jesus came along with the platinum rule, love one another as I have loved you, put everything on the line for you. The thing about the golden rule is if you operate by that in a literal sense, you'll love people how you want to be loved, right? And that's the problem with, I mean, it's not, the golden rule is great, but Jesus, there's a reason why Jesus says love one another is because that. It's actually a higher standard. And so in a relationship, if you're trying to love the other person, it's not enough to say, well, I've tried to love them and it's just not, they're not receiving my love, right? If you really love the person, you'll find out how they receive that love. And like learning a language, it's its hard. You know, you're not fluent in French overnight, but because you love the person, you want to change and to be able to love them in the way that they they want to be loved. So that is a a good way. But at the same time, um, sometimes it changes. It's not static. So, you know, it might be someone is receiving acts of service and then all of a sudden they switch over to quality time and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, But people aren't static. People aren't static. I mean, you're not, you know, somebody said... If you are uh, well, I won't say that. But basically, I mean, throughout marriage, you change. I mean, you totally change. Uh, did y'all ever see the movie Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey and um, Sarah uh, Jessica Parker? Who's terrible. But um, but she. Uh, The whole idea is that Kathy Bates and Terry Bradshaw are Matthew McConaughey's dad, and he's lived in their home until he's in his mid-30s. And when he finally moves out, the mother, Kathy Bates, says, I am just frightened out of my mind because now I'm married to a man that I don't even know. Because your marriage and your life is defined by certain things as you go along. Not only that, people are people and you change. I mean, are you the same person that you were when you were 20 or 30 or 40? I mean, it changes. That's why, um, you know, a lot of people who take the... um, Myers-Briggs, I think hide behind that. So I was in an office one time and a lady that I didn't get along with who was the office manager would say things like, well, I'm a this letter, this letter, and this letter. And Andrew is clearly a this letter, this letter, and this letter. So we'll never get along. And I said, that is horse manure. And uh, that, there you go. There's the test for you. But I, I said, that's just, that is an excuse. Plus, this person had taken the test 15 years before. And that's thinking that human personality is static when it's not. Uh, it changes, and so but that 's the thing about uh, and that 's the thing about your relationship too with Jesus is that you do find yourself changing, and even though every morning I wake up, I realize my struggle more and more and how dark sin is, and how much more in need of a savior I am i 'm overwhelmed, and I understand god 's love even more because he loves me in my condition, and actually, what that does is it drives me and makes me want to be different. It makes me like St. Paul who asks, you know, who will rescue me from this body of death? Like, I I don't want to be who I am. And I would hope that that defines the relationships that you have too. But again, the thing about it is, is last week, I think I said, if you're not, the holiness that you have in your relationship with God, if it's not yours, if it's given to you by God, and you can't create it in yourself, that also means that you can't create holiness in the other. You're not responsible for the other person's sanctification, too. And yet, and yet, I will, a little disclaimer, um, in marriage that is a little different. In parent-children relationship, because in marriage uh, that is different, because it is such, that is the example that that the Bible uses. And um, what you find is the love that you share in marriage, does really engender love and compassion and Holiness if you will uh, in the other person, but the problem sometimes too is perspective a lot of people will say You know I I don't feel like I'm growing I don't feel like I'm changing and the person that you're close to might be agreeing with you and saying yeah You're not growing. You're not changing. You're still the person. I wish you weren't Um, and yet um, You know did y'all ever go to a family reunion and Aunt Gladys would come up to you and say oh you've grown you get, you've gotten so big. And uh, it's, when they say that when you're 25, it really checks you. Um, but um, no, but when you're growing up and, and Aunt Gladys says that, you think, what is she talking about? But the difference is, is that she has a year perspective. The last time she saw you was a year ago. And so sometimes when you're the person that gets up every morning and looks at you know, yourself in the mirror, it doesn't seem like a change is occurring, but from uh, another perspective, it is. It is, but the best thing about it, and maybe this is, this not maybe, it is a good thing, that you. it's best that you not know it's happening, because if you know that it's happening, then you can kind of start to rest in that and think, well, you know, I, I am changing. I, I am getting better, and you kind of think that you can just uh, ease off a little bit. But um, there is, um, and I, I'll close with this, most people approach these types of relationships with sort of, with um, Aristotle's approach, which was you learn by doing, you learn by doing, and in some ways Aristotle is right. You know, if you want to be a good piano player, what do you do? You play the piano a lot. Um, so I would say that that's probably true in almost every area of life, except when it comes through, comes to relationships. So if you are trying to beat um, a pattern of behavior in your life, and it's sort of on your own, Um, ultimately, you will not be successful. If anything, you'll struggle even more, and hopefully it'll bring you to the point of despair where you cry out for help with the Lord. But that's why if you ever go to an AA meeting, somebody stands up and says, Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been so." Even though they might have been sober for the past 30 years, there's still the sense that they know that they're an alcoholic, and Alcoholics Anonymous will say that every morning you wake up, you're one day closer to your next drink. Now, to us, that sounds, well, that's depressing. But what it is, is it's an acknowledgement of your own condition. And so when you go to bed that night and you haven't taken a drink, you realize that it's by God's grace that that didn't happen. And you go to bed saying, hallelujah, not I made it, but hallelujah, God helped me make it. Um, And so in this, what we find is that when love, uh, one-way love, love that has no expectation of return is at the center of a relationship, and it's not being used as a tactic. It actually does enable people to love in the way um, that they were made to love, uh, to love in the way that brings about fulfillment, and actually causes them to love you uh, in the way, and you, causes them to love you in the way that Jesus uh, loves us, uh, flawed and tainted by human nature as it may be. We still get glimpses of it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through the glass dimly right C. s. Lewis said we dwell in the shadow lands. you know we don't it's it's not totally in focus, but we still see it. It's still there, um, and so in our relationships, I hope that even though it is shadowy, um, that we are able to see it uh, even dimly. Questions, comments, concerns? Lauren? okay yes. Marriage and you know, typical thing of couples, you know, facing each other and and there's the pulls and the tugs, mm. I mean tugs and struggles. But instead, the visual of you know, arm in arm or arms around each other mm-hmm. and their path toward God and mm-hmm. it's much more about um, in the focus on God and much more about the each other. <laughs> yeah, that's key. If if you're really struggling with somebody, if you turn your focus toward God, like in a, in a marriage, if you want. If you want to see things happen in marriage, don't focus on one another. If the two are focusing on God, it's going to bring you closer together. And even if one of you is only focusing on God, it's still a whole lot better than than focusing on self, Well That reminds me of something that someone told me recently that you know, when you want to love another person through you know whatever means, you know, like you giving a gift to your me driving to Montgomery to have lunch with my son, you know, drive three hours for 30 minute lunch. And if, you know, or whatever it is we do for somebody else um, or our spouse, um, as soon as we think we're doing it for them, we're looking for a reaction, right. a response. Mm-hmm. If That's we a good don't point. get that, then, you know, it, it's flat and we, you know, have a resentment or whatever. But if we mm-hmm. can keep reminding that, you know, I'm going to visit that person in the hospital, I'm doing this for you, guys And, you know, or whatever it is you're doing and and keep the focus on who we're doing it for and who who we're ultimately seeking to please and serve. And it really releases a lot of that, uh, you know, what we do or don't receive, that imperfect person we're trying Hmm. to love. That's a good point. When I go to the hospital, I tell people, I'm not here for you. And that normally goes over really well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have to remind yeah. myself what I'm doing. Because, you know, they may be asleep. I mean, dang. <laughs> over here? Business card. Just okay. Okay. Right. kidding. Anything else? Okay. Now that Joe Warren's retiring, I'm going to be in charge of pastoral care. So uh, just kidding. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> Birthday calls from Andrew. Birthday calls from Andrew. <laughs> Papa Andrew, the angels sang on this day. It's going to be exciting. Have y'all, y'all get? Isn't that talk about mismanaging expectations? Good grief, that man That's has called we still have a home phone number? <laughs> that was very funny. Uh, you want to see a good example of this? Joe Warren. Joe Warren. Gosh. Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit we are more than conquerors, uh, but not because of what we're able to do or what we have done, but because of what you have done for us and what you do through us. And Lord, indeed, when your Holy Spirit is working, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. But Lord, we are still so grateful for servants like Joe Warren, um, who really is the example of what it is we're talking about this morning. Uh, But God, we pray that uh, we might be in touch with our own sinfulness, that that might engender compassion toward others, and that we might focus on your love, that we might uh, love others as you have loved loved us, uh, undeserving sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.